Growth stories, life lessons, turning points, service to others, truth, no bullshit, adding value, no smoke and mirrors, being the pressure, third down and 10, win or learn, always the underdog with a chip on your shoulder. These are the things that I think about when I talk to this group. From service academy fleet leaders, NFL players, NASCAR drivers, tech gurus, private equity, small business, big business, to the entrepreneurs making the way of the future, winning at all costs with uncompromised integrity, paying the price of admission. Let's go. All right, you ready? We're doing it. All right. Uh, for the listeners out there, today we got Donald Pearson, class of 2016, and so far he's the youngest one of the group to be on of the Brotherhood. Um, and I think the most um, important part of of what Donald brings today is he he wore the sacred number five zero fifty. Only the best, right? Only the best. <laughs> and you were uh, you were a linebacker? Yeah, inside linebacker. I was a recruited receiver. And uh, they lied to me and said they were going to switch up the offense and throw me the ball a lot. Uh, went to the prep school, put on about 20 pounds, got fat, and uh, I was slow as it was. So then they just moved me to uh, moved me to linebacker. So was uh, nice. w- wasn't exactly what I envisioned my college uh, position being, but it worked out okay. Yeah, no doubt. You know, ask Clint Sovey about that. How that that works with his uh, your purpose here has changed, right? So right, <laughs> exactly. Um, Nicknamed DP, um, raised in Las Vegas. How does that go live or being raised in Las Vegas? Uh, and it's funny, like all the guys that, that were on the team from the East coast, like the ones that had never been to Vegas, like I would just lie to them and be like, yeah, my dad owned a strip club. And like, I, I didn't go to school. Like I, we would just play blackjack and craps all day, but it's funny. Vegas is such a normal town. Like, anyone that's from Vegas avoids the strip, like the plague. Yeah, like the only well, time we would go down there is, is for like a, you know, a birthday dinner or something like that. And then we would immediately leave. So it's a super normal place to grow up. There's good hiking. There's lots of parks. Like there's lots of fun stuff to do outside. There's golf. So it's, it's an awesome place to raise a family. Um, so, but we don't want a bunch of people to know about that because uh, we don't like overcrowded places. So all the Californians figured that out during COVID and they all moved here. Nice. No, that's funny. I, I saw that you uh, you were born and raised in Las Vegas. You go to the Naval Academy, and then you go back to Las Vegas. I'm thinking, man, I'd, I'd be in so much trouble. Um, <laughs> when I uh, my, at my senior trip on my like senior year, like, hey, I'm about to go to college, about to get out of here. Uh, my dad took me to Las Vegas, and uh, we had a good time. We were on the strip. We were playing some games. We did all that stuff. And I was 18. Uh, <laughs> but you were I, I had a great so no time. <laughs> exactly. I never got carded until the, the flight back home after the entire trip. So I had to ask about that. Um, so you have a lot of extracurricular activities, hobbies. You know, one of the things is uh, hot yoga. That, that, is, that is my new obsession. I think you're on the right track. Don't give that one up. So I, uh, I, I, I lifted weight. I mean, I just, I loved lifting. Like that was always my drug of choice. It was like how I de-stressed. Um, and, and True. I was still lifting like I was playing when I wasn't. And, uh, I threw my back out pretty bad you know, being stupid, you know, five in the morning, it's 30 degrees outside. 
throw three plates on the bar and start trying to squat, like no warm up, just being dumb. And uh, my back gave out one of the, one of the days and I, it kind of freaked me out cause I got little girls at home and I couldn't pick up my daughter for a couple of days just cause I, it was hurt so bad. So it kind of scared me a little bit and I sort of had a realization I should probably start taking care of my body and not just always constantly destroy it. Uh, and so my wife's been trying to get me into hot yoga for years and I finally listened and uh, now it's, that's my new, if I don't, if I don't go to hot yoga in the morning, my whole day is ruined. Nice. Girls at home. How many girls? Uh, I've got a uh, almost four-year-old daughter, and then I've got a four-month-old daughter. Oh man, you just you're getting started. So we're in the, we're in the thick of it. Uh, I'm outnumbered by a lot of girls. Uh, I got two no girl doubt. dogs, and then I've got I've got two sisters. My wife has a sister. Uh, all the cousins are girls. So my my father-in-law, myself, and my dad are the only men in the family. So it is. Uh, we're outnumbered. Good. You, you're like, you know, anybody that's been on the podcast so far and is talking about their uh, things they had to overcome and, you know, and the adversity and all that. You're, you're well on your way <laughs> with that crowd right there and lots of character built. Um, back to your hobbies. And, you know, other than that and the Disney thing you got going on, um, what's, what's the Disney thing? Uh, so I, I don't really remember exactly where it started, but I, I met my wife when we were in sixth grade. So we went to middle school together and the awesome. first trip we ever took as like, I don't know, boyfriend and girlfriend, whatever that means when you're like 12, uh, we went to Disneyland. And so that's always been a very special place for us. And we went before we had kids, we would go all the time. Uh, and now we have you know little kids, so we have a great reason to go. And so my daughter's not even four yet. She's been to Disneyland five times. Um, and I'm starting to realize that is an unsustainable pace. So in her mind, she goes to Disneyland every six months. That's just like the way her brain works. She's like, okay, great. Six months have gone by. We're going back to Disney. Uh, and I don't know how realistic that is to keep that up. But that's that's our our little uh, our little fun fun time for the family. Nice. The rest of your... Uh extracurricular your hobbies is all like when i look at it i think this dude is engaged in a lot of things that i have no idea what he's you know what he's doing now board of directors of the las vegas heels uh clark county medical strategic advisor las vegas chamber of presidents club um Southern Nevada Veterans Chamber of Commerce, JV football team coach. Like, that's a lot of stuff. Like, how do you fit all that stuff in your day? My uh, my wife does uh, – she's a homebody. And and she says that – So she's I'm a badass. Too long, she, she is. Uh, she said okay. if, I'm, if I'm home too much that uh, uh, I drive her crazy. So she always is like, go, go be productive and go do things. So, no, I, I like to stay busy. Vegas is a really cool place because it's uh, it's still ran by the mob, right? It's it's a it's a who do you know town, and it always will be. So, um, you know, people that are from here that grew up here, the ones that are very involved in community are are the the, the people who are very successful in this town. And so, um, you know, I, I work in a relationship business. I don't have a 
product that I sell. I don't have like a, a special thing that I like, I, I sell, I sell myself, right? Like I'm selling a relationship to people. And so, um, being very involved in the community is, is one, obviously a, 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 just a good thing to do, but two, um, it is, you know, a great place to, to sort of build my brand and my reputation within Vegas. So when you build your brand, what are you building? So right now I'm building uh, what will be the the largest uh, service academy and Navy football player led wealth management firm in the country is is what we're building, uh, which is pretty exciting. So I've I've hired uh, six Navy football players to to my firm, Westpac Wealth Partners um, during this year. And my goal was three. I doubled that. So we're up to six. And then next year I'm going to hire another 10. So that's the goal. So. Uh, the, the idea is gotcha. this, this, this career, uh, is built for Navy football players. It just really is. Uh, and so I figured, why would I not want to work with all the guys that I like being around all the time? Nice. Hey, we'll come back to that. Cause I think you just went into like the bulk of the conversation we're going to have today. <clears throat> and I went into your brand and you just, you know, popped it, but um, I also want to not pass up some other things that are, that are pretty important. Um, you said Las Vegas is still run by the mob. <laughs> I, it's, it's, I mean, it, it really was actually, I mean, for, for, for decades now they have a museum, you know, dedicated to, to what the history of Vegas used to be in, you know, Al Capone and Sinatra and all, you know, all those guys. Right. Um, but it's the same five, six families run the city that ran it when I was growing up here, right? So I come back a decade later, nothing's changed. The same families are still running the same show and, and the same people are the ones that have all the power and control. Uh, it's just sort of the way, it's a good old boy town. That's, that's how Vegas will always be. Expound on that because I want to know more about that. That's pretty interesting. So you, it's a very concentrated center of power. So the, 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 obviously you have the casinos and the, and the strip and, and they really control every other industry in Vegas. And so okay. if you want to do anything in alcohol distribution, uh, the marijuana industry is here, huge here now. If you want to do anything down near the strip at all, like you've got to get their blessing. And, and it's one How of those do you things do that? they don't give out. <laughs> I haven't cracked that nut yet. I, I steer clear of it, but no, I mean, it's, it really is. It, it's who, you know, and you know, you've got some, some extraordinarily wealthy, very, very powerful people who are running these, these organizations, um, down, down on the strip. And it, it's not just gambling, right? Like MGM Caesars, uh, Las Vegas Sands. I mean, these companies are, have they have their fingers in everything like it's not it's yeah. not just gambling and staying at their hotel i mean they're in sports betting they're in marketing they're in i mean you name it like they're, they're there and so when i when i say it's ran by the mob it's just I, I mean it really used to be if you wanted a job on the strip like there were like two guys that you used to have to go like meet with to get a job and like that was it and they did just, they ran the union so they ran the strip yeah okay so <clears throat> They ran the union, so they ran the strip. What kind of union are you talking about? Is like there are multiple unions, or is there just like a Las Vegas union? Uh, f food and culinary is the big one. Um, food and culinary. Uh, the, 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 
that that's really the most powerful one um because that that sort of encompasses anyone that works in hospitality sort of falls under that um and so that's okay. the majority of the people that work down on the strip are, are are part of that union and i'm trying to figure out why unions add value now so that's why i ask so um well dude that's that that's the basic intro that i had uh that i wanted to go over um i did catch a couple of uh rossi comments uh, that I'll get to at some point, but uh, tell us your story. I mean, it's pretty unique. I mean, what we went through so far, Las Vegas. Um, what service selection did you have? You were a Marine Corps officer. Yep. So, so I went Marine Corps. Um, I, I was one of the I was the guy who didn't know what he wanted to do. You know, they, you had the guys that were going to be pilots, and they knew that. And you had guys that were like, "I'm going to do SWO in five years and get out." And I, I was the guy that was just like, "I, I don't really." I don't really know. I, I, I don't have a direction. And uh, so all my buddies were going Marine Corps. And so I said, let's do the Marine Corps thing. And then while I was at TBS, um, you know, I wanted to go uh, blow stuff up and, and shoot bad guys and jump out of helicopters and do the, you know, the cool infantry or MARSOC thing. And I proposed to my wife and well, now wife. And she said, I mean, it's that or me that choose. Cause like, I'm, I'm not signing up to sit at home and worry about whether you're alive or dead. So like, if you want to go do that, go do that. But if like, if you want me to tag along for the ride, like I'm not going to sit here and have you voluntarily put yourself in harm's way. And so we had just a really, really honest and hard conversation early on in our marriage of what do we want our lives to look like? And we decided that that was back in Las Vegas. My family's here, her family's here, owns a breakfast restaurant that's been in town for 43 years. You know, our roots run really deep in this city. And so that was always the goal, be around family, be back in Vegas. And so it was find an applicable skill set that was going to set me up for the transition from, you know, military to my next career. And so I chose financial management, uh, got orders down to Miami, Florida. So I spent all four, four years of, of my active duty in Miami, Florida, of all places, which was very fun for about six months. Uh, then my daughter was born and we, it was a very, very difficult place to raise a child. Uh, it's, it's very crowded and very hot and humid and sticky and, uh, people yell at each other in Spanish all the time and, uh, no habla espanol. <laughs> so that was, that was a tough place to, to, to raise a family. But, um, what I did when I was in Miami is I was the budget officer. I was in charge of the budget for the Marine Corps for central and South America. So it's all the counter drug, nice. counter narcotic, counter terrorism, um, missions, all the secret squirrel stuff, which was really fun. And, um, just by happen chance of the way that the, the orders broke out, I was a second lieutenant, but I was just filling a, a senior major's billet. And, um, you know, I actually, I was the one presenting directly to the assistant commandant of the Marine Corps. So like I, I would, like I myself would brief like the Pentagon. And so it was a very, very difficult job in the sense of, I didn't know what I was doing and I was young and everybody else there was like colonels and above. So I didn't really have any friends yeah. because I was everyone's kid's age, but it sure. forced me to grow up very, very quickly. I didn't get to just how'd you do average. that. Like how'd you, how'd you figure out how to grow up really quickly? I mean, just the same way we all did, right? You just, you have to, you adapt and you figure it out. And when you have the literally like the assistant comment on the Marine Corps sending you an email directly being like, Hey, what is the number here? Or like, what are we doing here? 
you, you don't have a choice to be like, oh, I don't know. Like, go figure out the answer. Yeah. And that sort of became the theme of like my military career. It was just like, I knew none of the answers, but I got really, really, really good at figuring out how to get those answers. And that's a skill set that, that I think has paid enormous dividends in my career so far is just understanding how to leverage other people, how to leverage information, how to leverage others' experience to be able to hold a position that, you know, if you look at it on paper, I had no, I had no reason being in that job. Sounds like it sounds kind of familiar to me too, on a, on a few different levels. Um, when you were putting that, that scenario where you had to come up with the answer, you had no idea, right? Who would you go to? Where would you start? Uh, <laughs> the the folks at the Pentagon used to get uh, really, really annoyed with me calling, but I was just the kind of guy I was just like, I would just call and ask, right? Like you so just started bugging, bugging, just folks, bug, like, hey, you just bug I people. need this, I 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 need this. And eventually what you find, what eventually what you do is you find the guy or the gal who knows that one sliver that's a part of your job. And then and who you cares? form a relationship with that person. And who cares, right? You form a relationship with that person and that person is willing to help you. They're willing to go out of their way to give you some of their time to, to assist you. So, but it's all relationships, right? Like if I, if you call someone and you're like, give me this now and you demand it, they're going to tell you to kick rocks. But if you build a relationship Mm -hmm. and rapport with people, people inherently want to help others. Like that's what I've really learned is like people want to help others. And so if you give them the opportunity to, they're going to help you. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you, you hit a lot of things there, and and uh, especially right now with inflation and companies downsizing, and they're looking to, you know, flatten the the workforce and all that kind of stuff. The the folks that actually care, <laughs> one and two, the folks that keep on like, hey, what about this? What about this? What about this? they keep on pushing? They keep on like, hey. They, they say stay persistent to figure out, hey, what's my next step are the ones that are figuring it out, right? Absolutely. At the end of the day, and I, th- I think you're uh, – so that makes a lot of sense for where you're at today, and we'll get into that. Um, so, you know, that's your uh, Marine Corps experience. Anything else there that you want to talk about? Before we get into well, where you're at today, you know, I, and I, I've I've actually I've done a couple of uh, interviews about this. I actually, wrote an article about sort of how that led to like trans because like transition transitions is like big topic that people talk about. Um, yep. And there's lots of different advice, and everyone's got their own two cents on it. And and sort of my experience was, you know, I was I was fortunate enough. I had a a good mentor who worked in wealth management. And sort of the reason why I was end up being very very attracted to um, to, to this, uh, career. And, and I sort of figured out very on that everyone would tell you, Oh, you're a Naval Academy grad. You play Navy football. Like you can get a job. Like the world's your oyster. You can do anything you want, right? Like it'll get your foot in the door. hundred percent true. But once your foot's in the door, you have to have something to say. On you. Like you have some yeah. type of, you have to have some type of value to bring. So I became very, very intentional about 
the first day I showed up on a job, I didn't want to be a liability to a company. I wanted to be an asset day one. So how do you do that? So for my industry, it's knowledge, right? It's the ability to understand a very, very complex world of, of finance and taxes and yep. state law and all that kind of stuff, right? So knowledge is power. One of the cool things that that we have as veterans and as Naval Academy grads is like there's so many programs out there that will pay for you to get education. So I went and I got my MBA in finance from LSU. That didn't cost me any money. I went and got my uh, chartered financial consultant designation. Cost me no money. I became a retirement income certified professional. Cost me no money. I became a wealth. Sounds like things I should have done. I mean, <laughs> yeah, right? Like, tell tell everybody how you have to go do those things. Like, how do you go do those things? You you ask. You money. Right. So I yes. uh, the American the American College of Financial Services is the largest accrediting body of financial designations in the country. So I called them nice. and I said, hey, I work in finance. I'm in the military. I want to do wealth management. Like what types of programs do you guys have? And they said, oh, oh you by the way, I'm guy. a uh, first or second lieutenant and I'm briefing the uh, Commodore, the Marine Corps, <laughs> and the Pentagon on these things. Right. So. And so they said, oh, you got to talk to this guy. He runs a veteran department here. He'll talk to you. So I start talking to him and the guy goes, uh, hey, so, you know, where'd you go to school? I said, the Naval Academy. He goes, shut up. I was like, what? He goes, how'd you, how'd you get into the Naval Academy? And I said, well, I, I played football. He goes, shut up. He goes, me too. What class were you? I said, 16. He's like, I'm class of 81 or whatever. His name was Ted Diggs. So Ted Diggs nice. was the, the, the vice president of the American College of Financial Services uh, uh, scholarship endowment for military people. So I got nice. a lifetime scholarship from the American College of Financial Services, but I asked. Like, you have to ask. I, I wanted to get these designations, so I just Being picked up the phone and called. Yep. And w the, the beauty of the Navy Football Brotherhood Network is you never know who you're going to bump into. And the second Ted and I realized that we both played Navy football, it was game over. Right. And so part of a lot of my success or in my career very, very early on has become from on paper. It looks like I've been doing this for 35 years. Like there's no other person in Nevada. I've Googled it. I've tried to find in the country that has the academic background that I do. Like it just, they don't have it, but it's because I knew I wanted to do this. I was intentional about it and I just went and I asked to see who could help me get there and turned out I was a Navy football player, which is really, really cool. Nice. Sounds like you've uh, hit a lot of really good milestones <laughs> uh, with, with people that, you know, know your background, which is yeah, awesome. And it's, but it's been, I think the the be, the be, bigger theme here, and what I'm catching on to, is your persistence, your consistency, looking for that next thing, and like just seeking the wisdom, seeking out the next step, uh, which is so important. And I don't think enough people actually, you know, care about or even think about doing that. So um, keep going. I mean, we want to learn more from you on that. Yeah, I think I think a lot of times it's what what can 
a company do for me, right? It's like, that's sort of how people think about it. They think about it in terms of like, oh, I'm getting out of the military. I'm entitled to $150,000 base salary. Oh, by the way, I don't know anything. Like, I don't know how to do whatever job I'm about to do, but like, you should pay me that amount of money because of my background. And like, that's the wrong mindset to have. But I think that's True. sort of been the narrative for a lot of people. So it's like, no, just get hyper-focused in whatever it is, right? For me, it was wealth management. But if you're hyper-focused, if you want to be in a, in a, a emerging technology company, okay, go learn everything you can possibly learn and go get your credentials and go get whatever so you can start doing that thing day one. Because the, the, I think the data is basically, for, especially for all like the military placement programs around the country, it's like those guys don't make it more than a year. Like they hire them for a year and then they're out the door, they're on to the next thing. But it's because the, yeah. you never became intentional about what you wanted to do. I've seen that too, no doubt, even in my industry, uh, for sure. Um, you, you said a guy named uh, James Rossi. Pulled you into this James what Rossi. you're doing now with wealth wealth management. He he took. Uh, I was able to catch his ear a little bit uh, tonight about you know what you do now, and he said um, with Westpac, there's a guy that's the well, I guess the CEO. He's a basketball player uh, from Serbia, and his name's Nash, and that yep. uh, he's the hardest worker in the room. Has always been is doing now and it's kind of trying to spread that that theme without you know throughout the team that he's building and, and you know you end up there he sees an advantage with working with athletes uh it's kind of like a 24 7 job sound about right yeah. I mean, it never, because my wife gets super frustrated because like, I'll be, you know, I'm golfing on a Saturday morning and it's like in her head, Oh, Dawn's just out golfing, Having but fun. like I'm building relations. Like it, it, and yeah, it doesn't end building, in that. Right. You're building a relationship. Being intentional. Right. Right. Gotcha. And, and that's his, his take on it. Um, do you like it with what you do now? I mean, I guess tell us what you do now and then we'll go into that. I mean, to answer your question, I love it. Like I, you know, I tell people this all the time because I think it's a fair question. Um, you know, my clients will ask like, you know, what happens if you leave? Like what it, what happens to our accounts? Like, do they get inherited by someone else? Do you, do you take us with you if you leave? And what I always tell people is like, I'll never leave. The only way I stop doing what I do is if I'm in a body bag. Like I, love what I do. And it's infectious. And like, I think it resonates to, to our clientele, but that's not just me. It's like everyone that works here just genuinely loves it. Um, one, we can get, you know, we make an impact Two, the autonomy, you know, we can go into all that, all the pros of like this career, but I think more than anything, it's, it's the culture that's set, you know, by our CEO and yeah, we work really, really, really hard. But we're working really, okay. really hard so, for a reason. I'm going to pause you here. Are you ready? So I was in that exact same scenario about two years ago. I was like, man, I love what I do. There's nothing that's going to take me out of this. And what makes it, what makes it, makes you feel like that right now? 
So when you think about a culture, right? Like you think about like the fabric of a team and at, at yes. Navy, right? What's, what was our, what was our defining characteristic, right? It was that there was no one person that was more important than the other, right? It was like True. the, the, the parts of the, of the team, everyone had to mesh together. Everyone had to come together to be successful. I, I'll argue that's why we haven't had a lot of success recently is because we lost that dynamic. That's just an outside perspective. Um, but that's what made Navy so successful, right? Same thing at this company. This is the first place I've been in my life where it is a true one. It's, it's, a merit, it's a true meritocracy. It does not matter whether you've been here for a minute or 20 years. The people who produce, the people who create revenue and create relationships and create opportunities rise to the top. Yeah. But they don't rise to the top and leave everybody else at the bottom. Like we bring people up. And that's what I think is really, really unique and cool about the way that our teams are structured is that everybody wins, right? It's not yeah. it's not built on, oh, look at me. Look how great I am as an individual. It's no, look at my team's success, right? Like, so I, I've, I've hired six Navy football guys this year, right? Like it's, we all celebrate in each other's victories. It's not a look at me, look at me, look at me, which is very much how the industry has been in the past. It's been very much like, pounding on your chest. It's a very egocentric industry just traditionally. Yeah. And that's just, this is a, it's, it's a, it's a true team. What, what do you think? This is what resonated with me. Yeah. I mean, that, that's spot on. You, you got it, man. Um, what do you think is like the glue for that though? Like what's, what's making that work? What's, what's, I mean, hiring six guys in Navy football and you, and you're loving what you're doing. Like, Things are going good. What's making? I think that it's identifying. I think it's identifying um, skill set, right? So this job, there, there's a lot of components to it, right? You have to be. People do business with people that they know, like, and trust, right? That's just a universal truth, especially if you start talking about like high net worth people or people at the higher echelons of society, like they're choosing who they want to be around. They're not mandated to hire any individual. Like they have full autonomy. They get to choose. That's one of the luxuries of being upper class, right? So people do business with people they know, trust, and like. And so you have to be really, really good at getting people to one, like you. You have to be really good at getting people to trust you. But then you have to be able to show competence, right? Like at the end of the day, someone can like you all they want, but like you're providing a level of service that like they're paying for. So you need to be able to show up when that service is needed. And what we found is that there's certain people within the firm who are incredible at creating relationships. They can cultivate creation relationships. They can build them up. They can get people to open up about things that they normally don't open up about. Right. But maybe those people aren't super good at the strategy side, at the actual dollars and numbers. That's great. If you're really good at creating relationships and you like that and you you derive like uh, um, a sense of of like accomplishment from managing those relationships, you can have an amazingly successful career here. And guess what? You don't have to do any of the paperwork. All you do is you're a true business development. And when we pair up someone that's really good at business development 
with someone that's really, really good at closing deals and at creating the strategies and understands like the nuances and intricacies of the tax code and of different opportunities that exist within like the world of finance, that's a match made in heaven because now both sides get to do what they're really good at. So we create teams built off of people's personalities and what they're really good at. Gotcha. And you, <clears throat> you're really smart. <laughs> uh, you're, you're I on, try to look I, smart on paper. Well, I think the, what you just said made a lot of sense. Uh, and f- for me, when I'm listening to this, I'm like, yeah, this guy is, he's the real deal. And um, you're in wealth advisory. What are the keys for folks right now? You know, they're listening to this and they're thinking, oh my gosh, like this guy knows what he's talking about. Uh, he's been through the ringer. He lives in Las Vegas. He doesn't, you know, go out and get crazy because he's a wealth advisor and he's doing good. So he's not, you know, blowing it all. Um, what do people need to know right now from a wealth advisory standpoint? Great question. Um, it's different depending on your occupation, right? If you're a W-2 employee and you work for a corporation that gives you benefits and you have, you know, a 401k with them, it's really, really easy. Ready for this? Save 20% of your income, period. Doesn't matter what it's invested in. It doesn't matter if you're in municipal bonds, the S&P 500, it doesn't matter right? Save 20% of your income. If you do that over your course of your life, if I get invited to your, you know, retirement party, I'll walk up and I'll shake your hand and say, congratulations on being a multi, multi, multi-millionaire, right? The power, the power of savings is so much more important than any rate of return you can possibly get. And I, I prove, I'll prove that to anyone empirically. That's one of my favorite things to do is, is show them everyone wants to talk about rate of return, nobody wants to talk about rate of savings. No one can control rate of return, no matter how smart you claim you are, you can't, no one knows, but you can 100% control rate of savings, right? So if you're a W2 employee, keys of the kingdom, that's it. Save a bunch of money, doesn't matter what it's in, don't put it into crypto, that's all I'll say. Um, Yeah. For if you're a business (laughs) Nice little uh, news article that just popped today on, on crypto, yeah. It's not pretty. It's not pretty. It, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'm not going to lie. It's a little bit of vindication over the last two years because I've had lots of people in my office saying like, look how good my crypto is doing. And I'm like, okay, like yeah. it, it, you, it you and uh, Jesse Awuji should, should talk to each other and come up with a, I guess, thesis on, on crypto for all of us. Well, is he super into it or super against it? I think he's into it. Cool. I love. I to the, uh, Jesse. I love debate. I love debate. Jesse, let's do it, man. Let's chat, Jesse. I I would yeah. love to Listen hear to your his episode first. Let's do we'll it. We'll go from there. Let's do it. Hundred percent. If nice. you're if you're a business owner, if if you have uh, an S corp or an LLC filing as an S corp, or you have a C corp, whatever it is, um, keys to the kingdom, right? You took all the risk. You leverage your own personal assets to create a, a business balance sheet, right? So what do you need to start thinking about? How are you going to start leveraging the business's balance sheet for your own personal gain? So business owners, like, why would they ever put money 
into the stock market to get a 10% gross rate of return, take out fees, take out taxes, call it six or seven. Instead, put it back into the business, figure out how to make a, a put it back into your business. You're going to get 10 X, 20 X, 30 X, which you're going to get into a traditional investment account. So if you're going to do that, like if you're going to put all your money back into the business, have a plan to monetize it. Because unfortunately what happens is business owners will, will they'll keep reinvesting their dollars back in the business, back in the business, back in the business, back in the business. But then when they go to try to monetize it, they go to try to sell, they get one times EBITDA because they haven't worked on the business, right? So having documented systems and procedures, having up-to-date operating agreements, making sure your cap tables are the actual people who are still in the company. I've seen tons of cap tables that have people that aren't even in the company anymore, technically still on the cap table, right? Like, so you have to have certain contingencies in place as a business owner to then be able to have a higher multiplier on your EBITDA. So the, the greater the governance of your business, the greater the, 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 the moat and the fence and the wall built around your business, the higher your multiplier. So how does a business owner like monetize the, the reinvested dollars? It's when you sell. But if no one's going to buy a business where the owner has 90% of the knowledge in his head and it's not documented anywhere. But that's what we see very True. often with a privately held business. So for our business owner clients, it's all about prepping for the exit. And exit means a you know different thing for different people, right? It could mean I'm going to sell it to a third party, private equity, M&A. I'm going to transfer it to my son. I'm going to sell it to my key employee. Like It means a different thing for everybody. But the point is have a intentional plan, intentionality, coming back to this, right? Like it's have an intentional plan of how am I getting out of my current role as the person that makes this business tick? My favorite thing to ask a business owner is if I take away your cell phone right now and I put you on a plane with your family to Bora Bora and you have no contact with your business for six months, what happens? A week or two goes by, ah, sure, business is normal. A month goes by, eh, maybe we're missing a key client. Maybe we're missing a key order. Maybe we're missing a key service, whatever it is. Two months go by, we're starting to hurt. Four months go by, employees are leaving. Six months go by, I'll bet you the majority of businesses that are like the disproportional value of the business is the owner are completely gone in six months if the, if the business owner's not there. So my point in saying that is, you have to have contingencies and plans in place if that happens, right? What happens if you're the owner and you get sick? What happens to your, how does your business keep ticking? What happens if you get disabled? True. What happens if you go into a coma? What happens if you get divorced? What happens if you go, you know, it doesn't like a million different things, right? So you have to have a good plan in place for all of those because you're not just responsible for you and your family. If you have employees, you're responsible for all of the employees and all of their families too. But most business True. owners have spent all of their time working in the business and have spent no time working on the business, right? So that's where we come in is we work on the business so you can monetize it eventually. That's sort of the whole shtick. True. Sounds like you had a, a good mentor, uh, someone that uh, has been through it before and makes a whole lot of sense, especially right now when it's really hard to hire folks. Very, um, very, very. Um, so as a, you know, 
in wealth advising, what what should we as a general population be worried about right now? Do you have any insight on that? Yeah. Um, you know, it's the things you see on the news, right? Inflation, sure. Inflation's an issue. Interest rates, sure. Interest rates are an issue. I'm laugh. I, I sort of giggle when people talk about how high interest rates are. I, I, I challenge anybody that's listening to this, go on Google and just pull up the history of the U.S. mortgage rates. It was in the 1980s. It was north of 19%. Like we're still at a historically low interest rate environment, right? Two and a half percent mortgage, which is what I have on my house, which is awesome, um, is unrealistic. It's it's unsustainable, right? The, the economy ebbs in cycles. It goes up, it goes down. It has to, it's healthy. Um, so people see six or 7% interest rates and they freak out. I'm like, that's still historically low relative to the rates that we've seen. So interest rates are going to do what they do. Like we can't control that. Right. Um, one of the things, one of the things that I see commonly, um, that's sort of our own faults, right? So what should you be looking out for? It is, is not having a, a core belief or a core philosophy around investing. What I mean by that is I see lots of people who will go, okay, I'm going to go all in on crypto this year. Okay. Crypto did great. Next year it tanks. Okay. I'm going to take all of my money out of that and I'm going to go all in on real estate. Okay. Real estate's too hard. Uh, I, I took a bad hit there. I don't want to do that. And they pull all their money back out. Okay. Now I'm going to go all in on options trading. I'm going to get really, I'm going to figure out how to trade options. And like people kind of just like sway in the wind when it comes to investing, but they've done studies like, right? Like that's why I love my job. Like I'll tell you my opinion, but I'll always back it up empirically. The best performing investors on the planet, like the Fidelity did a study and it was like their top account was some 90 year old lady who didn't even know she had the account. Like she had a bunch of money in there back when she was like 20 or 30, she had an inheritance or something. She never touched it for 70 years. And guess what? It did great. It was their like top performing account. So, but, but the people who are really successful in accumulating wealth and then having a very good retirement distribution plan, because saving money is one thing that's easy. Spending money and being tax efficient while you're doing it is a whole different animal. So people talk about getting to retirement. It's about getting through retirement, right? Like you don't want to run out of money. That's the scariest place imaginable. But the people who are really successful in doing that are the ones that have a core belief. And when they turn on the news and they see the world's exploding and interest rates are through the roof and inflation's horrible, they don't, they're not swayed. They don't sell at the bottom, right? It's the people who are like, you know what? I believe I have a core belief. This is what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. I've been, you know, it's empirically proven. It's been back tested and I, I believe in my strategy. I'm not going to sell just because the people on CNBC are yelling and telling me to sell because the financial industry, here's the dirty little secret. It doesn't matter whether it's an up market or a down market. The financial industry makes money. You want to know why? Because they get people really excited to hit the buy, 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 buy button. And every time you hit the buy button, the financial institutions make money. On the flip side, yeah, when everything's bad, sell, 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 sell. Guess what? They make just as much money when you click the sell button. So they don't care. The financial industry is is rigged. It's a rigged game. They The house always wins. If you're excited and you get greedy, they win because you're hitting buy a lot. If you get scared and you flee for the hills, 
guess what? They make a lot of money because you're clicking sell. So it's the people who are long-term oriented that have a core belief. Those are the successful accounts. Yeah, here, <clears throat> here's a guy that, you know, says the house is always rigged from Las Vegas, Nevada, now in financial advising. So what else <laughs> do you want to tell the group today? What, what else is on your message today before we close this thing out? Yeah, um, I, I, with what you're I've trying alluded, to say Yeah, I, I've alluded to, to, you know, hiring six Navy football players. Like I said, I want to hire 10 next year. Um, this is an awesome career for, for Navy football guys. And, and our CEO, our, all of our managing partners, if I say Navy football player, you're hired on the spot because they understand that you have a level of integrity. You have a level of work ethic. You have a level of coachability. Like anybody can learn how to do this job, right? You just read a bunch of books. Like it's not that hard, um, but you can't teach someone how to be a good dude. So we just want good people. We just want good dudes. Like I said, you can make a ton of money while you're learning all the intricacies of finance um, and have a very fulfilling life while you're learning, right? Like we don't just kick people to the curb and say, okay, go figure out everything there's to know about finance and then start building your book. We don't do it that way, right? We, we leverage each other. Like, so new guys that are really good at business development get paired up with, you know, people who understand this stuff and, and can create revenue and then every with the team shares and everyone successes. Um, and what the reason why we're doing this is let's just be honest, right? Like if you're a service Academy grad, if you're a Naval Academy grad, like Navy football player, like you're probably pretty successful. Like there's not a lot of us that end up not being successful. And a lot of these topics are very relevant for, for our, like our people, right? Like uh, the guys that, that understand us, that would come from the same cloth, like how to save money on taxes, how to have a good investment strategy how to like properly protect your business, all that kind of stuff. Like you're gonna need people to do that at some point in your life. So like, why would it not be with a firm that has all the Navy football players at it? Like, why would you go to some random firm to have this done if you can keep it in the family and know that you have guys who are gonna watch out for you? So that that's why I'm building this. That's ultimately my goal, right? I, I would love nothing more than to just be like, you play Navy football, you're successful. Yeah. Call Don and his team. Like that's who they work with. That's what they do. So that's my ultimate goal. That's what I want to do. Cause like I said, I, I think the true level of like wealth in, in our society is you get to, when you get to choose who you work with, I think that's the ultimate level of success, right? When you get to choose who you get to surround yourself by, I think that's the pinnacle. And so if I only true. ever have to talk to Navy football players for the rest of my life, like, and I just looked at my book earlier today. Like I have more West Point clients than Navy clients. I'm like, how is that right? Like that can't be right, but it is. So I need to switch that number. I can't have more West Point clients than Navy clients. <laughs> gotcha. So for, for that uh, crew out there that's transitioning from the military into whatever else is next. And, and you say like, Hey, come work for me. We're, we're a Navy football group and we're doing these things. Like, when you talk about compensation, like what do they have to look forward to? Uh, sky's the limit. Like that, that's the beauty, right? So for me, like I wasn't okay having an okay life. Like I didn't want to go make a hundred thousand dollars. And then five years later, I get a 10% raise. And then 10 years later, I get a company car. Like I didn't want that. Right. So when I say this is a true meritocracy, you want to make $500,000 your first year. 
like you can, like it's been, it's been done. It's been proven. Like you can do it in your first year. Like I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Like it's hard, but anything worth having in life is, is worth working for. Right. So like there is a high attrition rate in my business, hundred percent. The average person does not make it in my business, but Navy football players what, are not average people. What are the one or two things that they're going to need to do straight right off the bat in order to make it? Uh, well, so there's some ba- there's a, a base level licensing requirement to be able to like operate. So you've got two two investment tests you got to take. There's an insurance test you got to take. Um, you study for two months, you can pass those, right? It, it's not harder than thermodynamics. Everybody, you know, had to pass that in double E. It's not harder than that, right? So there, there are some licensing requirements. Well, so the earlier you get the licensing me, so. done. Oh, I, I was not a good student. It's hilarious <laughs> that I have every academic achievement you can get now other than my PhD, which I am jokingly telling my wife I'm going to go back and get so she can call me doctor, which she doesn't like. She's a nurse, so she doesn't think that that joke's funny. Um but you know, if if you want to to do this, um, it's you know, there's lots of free resources out there. We provide all of our new guys with with the study materials. I actually ran a tutoring business during COVID to help people get licensed and stuff like that um, that wanted to be in finance. So that you know, that's that's the that's the e- that's an easy hurdle. Um, but number two, like the the main thing you need to do is you just need to like do exactly what you did for your entire time at Navy, right? You just keep moving. You just keep moving forward, right? Not everybody is going to say yes, right? But eventually people are, and then you're going to build your brand and you're going to build your reputation. And if you're a good dude, word spreads like wildfire, right? Like there's not that many great people out here doing what we do. And so once people realize that they can be with a good team, that's trustworthy, that's going to take care of them. Word travels very quickly. Awesome. What's your price of admission? Price of admission. Be intentional. Have an idea of what you want to do and go get it. And do not think that you have to get there by yourself. Ask for help. Just ask. People want to help. Be a good dude. People want to help. Gotcha. All right, everybody. Donald Pearson, appreciate your time tonight. Uh, I'm sure this will, you know, connect with a few folks, especially with the ones that are trying to transition, figure out what they want to do with the rest of their life. I would say, uh, um, you know, when I talk to people, I I get a a fair gauge on like where they're at and all that stuff. You're, you're way up there, dude. From a doing my best, maturity man. Doing scale, my best. Um, knowledge scale, um, you know, at some point I'll, I'll probably pick your brain on some other things further down the line, but, um, yeah, if, if you're legit in what you say, then people, people should follow. So awesome talk tonight and I appreciate your time and tell the family I say hello. Always a pleasure, Tony. If you're out in Vegas, man, come let me know. I got a six egg almond at the family restaurant waiting for you with your name on it. It'll be a few years before I get back to Vegas. Um, I don't do (laughs) Vegas very well. I'll show you the real Vegas, none of the touristy stuff. All right. Take care. Appreciate it. All right, Tony.